Welcome to the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast, in which we bring you conversations we've had during our monthly speaker series held at Bloomberg's global headquarters in New York City. Cornell Tech at Bloomberg brings together students from Cornell Tech, Bloomberg employees, and members of New York's technology community to hear from entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders, luminaries from the global technology sector. Only 6.6% of the CEOs on the most recent Forbes 500 list were women. Our guest is on a mission to change that. Hi, I'm Scarlett Fu with Bloomberg News, and in this episode, we sit down with Carolyn Childers, CEO and co-founder of Chief, to discuss their efforts to unite executive women in the business world, the various services Chief offers to its members, and how she views the evolution of the C-suite. Um, I'm here with Carolyn Childers, and we're going to talk about her startup Chief, but the backdrop here, of course, is that the startup, the road to success is, is pretty lonely. and. That's the case for anyone, whether you're male or female. But for women advancing to the highest positions in the corporate world, it's especially lonely because there just aren't that many of us, or of you. I'm not one of them. But um, for the women who do break through the glass ceiling and make it to the top, the challenge then becomes how do you stay there and how do you continue to succeed? And this is a problem that Carolyn Childers has chosen to tackle with her startup, Chief. So, Carolyn, I want to step back a little bit here and start with your background as a, as a way to kind of set the scene here. You began your career in investment banking, like so many of our guests here at Cornell Tech do, um, and you then you went on to work at Victoria's Secret and Avon, which are two legacy direct-to-consumer companies that very much have a female-dominated or at least majority customer base, and at the time, female CEOs as well. What did you learn from those experiences and how did that feed into your idea for Chief and the mission that it serves? Yeah, I mean, I think in my, in my background, uh, especially in those early days, I was such a, I was junior in my career. I was an individual contributor. I didn't really see things through a gender lens. Um, I just wanted to do a good job. Um, and uh, learn as much as I could. So it actually wasn't in those experiences that something like Chief really came to mean something for me and a need that I felt. It was much more as I started to get more senior into my career. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was really as I started to manage bigger teams and I saw the dynamics of the ability for the people on my teams to progress that something like Chief became a lot more personal to me. Um, I obviously uh, had varied experiences within investment banking and uh, both Victoria's Secret and Avon, but it was really only when I started to get into a senior leadership position myself that the need for a community really started to resonate for me. I think for a lot of women, especially right after you graduate from college, women make up the majority of college graduates. You feel really good starting off in the working world. You feel like you're on an even playing field. You know, a lot of us played sports, so you know how to how to you know, banter with the guys and you know how to relate to them. And then at some point in your career, in your professional career, you kind of realize that the experience and the opportunities made available to men are different from the ones that are made available to us. Yeah. Do you remember when that was for you? Yeah, it, it was when I was starting to really build out a, a big team myself. Um, and uh, taking a look around a boardroom and the senior leadership team meetings and realizing it was just me um, that was the woman in the room. And through no like um, 
bias that came from a place of uh, you know discrimination, but just unconscious bias, there's just a difference in the way that you're operating in that model. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this moment in time where the responsibilities that you're taking on are even greater. Um, you are now trying to deal with work and life in a very different way. Uh, and to not feel like you have that community anymore uh, feels really lonely. And that was really the catalyst of wanting to drive and build something like Chief. And I remember when we were talking, you had mentioned that a lot of the times in a board meeting or in a situation where you're the only woman, the questions come to you first, and they're much more direct than perhaps they are to the, your male counterparts. It, was act it would actually be in the interest of trying to overcome a bias that uh -huh. it actually like almost course correct the other way. Um, where the questions would come to you first because they really wanted to make sure that you were participating as the sole woman in the room. And it just created a dynamic that then felt fake mm -hmm. um, and not natural. Um, and it was done in a really uh, positive way of trying to make sure that I didn't feel like the, the other in the room, mm -hmm. but it created the opposite dynamic. And so you started to realize that there is a real need here for something more to support women and for women to... Um, have a resource to turn to. So you decided to co-found Chief with Lindsay Kaplan, who at the time ran communications for Casper, the startup mattress company. How did you guys meet each other, and how did you guys talk this through? How did you come up with the idea? Yeah, we met actually at a women's event um, in the VC community. Appropriately uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. There's not that many of us in the you know senior leadership positions of New York City startups. Uh, so we had been at various events together, uh, and we were actually joking about the event that it wasn't wasn't the best. Uh, we hadn't re really made great connections. I will not say who led the event because they might be on our cap table now. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was a moment, even with it not feeling like a place to build a deep connection, I still met Lindsay. We ended up building a company together. Um, so it just shows the benefits of having these moments of really being able to build relationships. Um, but we looked around and just felt like there wasn't something out there that really supported us beyond these one-time um, interactions mm -hmm. and were very inspired off of, by a company called YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. They do a great job of building that community for CEOs and presidents. But because they're for CEOs and presidents, their member base is almost 90% male. Uh, they're no fault of their own. Um, it's just the dynamic of what that position looks like. Um, and as we were you know, struggling with this personal uh, issue ourselves, you couldn't open a publication and not see something about women's representation in business. And we really wanted to help to drive a solution on that front. So those two things together, the personal need and greater visibility and focus on women representation in business kind of came together at a perfect time for us to start to imagine something like Chief. Okay, so you founded Chief in 2018, you launched it in 2019. What were your goals at the time in terms of numbers? How many people did you think that you would get just off the bat? And then how many did actually came to you? And, and how did they find out about it? I mean, did you post something online? Did you post it on LinkedIn? We, uh, so when we started, we were launching in February. We had this goal of maybe we'll get 75 to 100 members. 
We ended up doubling that very quickly and had 200 as we launched. We now just surpassed 2,000 um, in less than a year, which is phenomenal, and are sitting on a wait list of over 7,000 um, additional members. And this um, is through word of mouth, or are you sending around emails to people? So we started cold email. I mean, there's nothing out there. Uh, uh, there's no word of mouth to be had when you don't have a first member. It's hard to create word of mouth off of zero. Um, so we started with cold emails. And the very first day we sent a cold email to some amazing, amazing women, uh, a very senior leader at a call it Fortune 10 company signed up first day. Um, and that's when I think we realized, okay, there's really something here. There's a need here. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's only really taken off from there. Now we do a lot less cold emailing because we have been able to really have word of mouth uh, mm -hmm. take effect. And that's what's really driving that wait list. And it's been a completely different experience. I've, you know, post the um, positions that you were talking about, I've been in the startup world for a while. The amount that people have to dump into marketing to continue the flywheel, the, the growth flywheel that venture capital is expecting mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. And we haven't had to spend anything on marketing because it's all been word of mouth at this point. That's pretty incredible. How much, how much is the membership? I mean, talk a little bit about how willing people are to pay a premium to be part of this group. Because right. it's, especially if you're cold emailing and then you're saying, you know, there's this we're building this organization, and by the way, it costs money as well. It's kind of a, a tough sell. It, it was perceived, I think, originally as premium pricing because so we are 7,800 for a C-level executive and 5,400 for VP level. And for a year? For the year. Okay. Um, so we're a vetted network. We just focus on VP level and above. Um, and at first, when people saw that price tag, I think you equate it to other social organizations. But for us, it's actually much more equivalent to leadership development initiatives. So it costs $30,000 to get an executive coach for six months. So that is what we kind of compare ourselves to. A lot of what we do really revolves around um, support and coaching. And so it's more equivalent to that. Mm -hmm. Because of that, we're actually able to get companies to sponsor. So the vast majority of our members are actually company sponsored. Um, and there are multiple women from that company who are members then. Exactly, exactly. So we're starting to develop partnerships directly with companies. We obviously originally reached out directly to mm -hmm. the members themselves, but as more and more women within some of these larger organizations have both expressed interest and gone through the process and experience with Chief and had a really positive experience, we're starting to actually have conversations directly with companies as well. You're based in New York. Uh, Chief is based in New York as well. And you have a physical presence. Talk about your membership. Are they all based in New York? Uh, clearly, the waiting list would suggest that they're elsewhere as well. Yeah, the, the majority is still New York based, even on the, on the wait list. Uh, our members right now, the 2,000, are New York based. Uh, so we started in New York. We just yesterday announced that we are officially going to be opening our second city, which is out in LA, which is really exciting, um, and have big ambitions of getting to all of the major markets in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, experience for us, I think that there is a really interesting movement from 
social and digital networks um, that used to be the main way that people are starting to connect and people are really starting to crave in person. I think that that is where you can really build the deep connections. This is meant to be a place where you can really be your authentic self and talk through your biggest professional, personal challenges. Mm -hmm. That's really hard to do if you can't see the person and have that type of relationship. Um, so it was really important for us to anchor in an in-person experience, which for a venture capital-backed business sometimes can be a interesting sell as we were going out and doing our seed round. What kind of pushback did you get on that? Well, it's, you know, if you think about how venture capital thinks about businesses and the ability to scale, mm -hmm. uh, if you are going city by city and you have an in-person experience, the level of operational lift that that takes to be able to go to those different cities is a lot harder and higher than some other businesses that, you know, you build it and then it could just take off right from there, um, nationally, globally, et cetera. Uh, but our model just requires that. It doesn't mean that over time you don't uh, then have a digital experience that allows you, if you're you know, outside of LA, San Francisco, New York, the big cities, that you still can participate in Chief in other ways, but we needed to anchor in an in-person experience for the true heart of what we wanted to accomplish to take place. Most of your members are in New York. Uh, most of your waitlist is in New York. Does that mean that most of your members here in New York are in the finance industry, are some in the tech industry, are some in the retail industry. Talk a bit about the industries that are represented by members of Chief. Yeah, we focus really specifically on cognitive diversity mm -hmm. um, and want to make sure that our member base comes from every different background, every different industry, every different function. Um, even the, the experience that you have when you join we put people into what we call core groups, which is a peer coaching um, experience, and want to make sure that you're not with all people from finance or all people from retail, because we're all dealing with the same problems uh, as a leader. Uh, it really does anchor in people problems most often, and how you build teams, manage teams, lead teams, that's universal regardless of what industry you're in. And it's actually really helpful to get a perspective from somebody that's operating in a very different environment from you and comes at it from a completely different angle mm -hmm. and opens your mind to a different way of thinking about it. So more on this core group. Who's leading the core group? Who's leading the discussions? Are you personally leading them? I do not have the time to personally lead all <laughs> 150 different core groups that are operating at Chief right now, although I wish I could. Um, the uh, core groups, we go through a really deep onboarding process with, with people as they join Chief to really understand their level of seniority, what they're looking to get out of it so that we can truly create a group of peers. Mm -hmm. um, and in that process, we also match you with an executive coach um, as a group. So there's a facilitator in the room with the executive coach profile and it really becomes the place, it's like executive coaching on steroids because now it's not just a one-to-one -one conversation with that coach, it's actually able to tap into the perspective um, of all of the other women that are in the room that have experienced similar types of situations that oftentimes the coach hasn't. Um, so it's, it's a really great dynamic to see take place. So it's best practices essentially for women who are all CEOs, for instance, or CFOs or CMOs. But you 
are not limited to people who are in the C-suite. Um, you also have book authors, folks from the nonprofit world, um, from teaching, from education. How do you decide, if, if you're saying that people are vice president and above, how do you decide which book author gets entry? <laughs> Um, it's, a, it's a great question. I think you know, ultimately what we're trying to look at is what is the level of influence that somebody has within society um, and really trying to understand that. And it's why we wanted to focus on the more senior woman executive. We are looking at and really trying to drive the mission of getting more women into positions of leadership. There are many different ways that you can tackle that problem, but for us, we truly believe that change starts at the top. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have five million women who are VP level and above in the US, just getting more of them into positions of, of influence and leadership, the ripple effect that that could have, we believe is some of the greatest ways of driving this change. Um, so for us, that doesn't limit it to corporate. Uh, there's so much influence you can have outside of a boardroom but really want to bring this kind of collective power together to drive some of that change. Are you pursuing people? I mean, is there someone that you've targeted directly and you've you know sent them maybe not the cold email because you're more you're a known entity now, but really chased after them and and, and kind of you know I don't want to say stalked, but <laughs> targeted I'm not above, them. I'm not above stalking. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll do it. Um, yeah, I think there's still definitely people that we are actively pursuing and would love to have as part of it. Uh, and there's always a celebration when that <laughs> comes to fruition. And I think we, we still are, whether it be a cold email or a warm email, we still are doing some outreach mm -hmm. because of the point that I was making before of cognitive diversity uh, and wanting to make sure that um, you know, women that are in engineering, which you know, we may not yet coming to us organically, that we seek them out and make sure that we have that representation in the chief community. Are you rejecting anyone? Have you, have you rejected anyone? We, uh, we say not yet. I don't think there's a real rejection. Um, I think where we, and most of it is because of level of seniority, mm. I think the, the place where we're also pretty cautious and will you know, hold off on membership we really want to make sure that this is not a place where people are coming in and just trying to build business and going and network through and, and network and sales and solicitation and that type of thing. So we're pretty protective on that front too. Um, but really feel like we it is our biggest job to make sure that it truly is a network of senior executives. They feel like it is at the right level of seniority that it that they are not the mentor, but mm. actually have a peer group. I'm glad you bring up the word mentor because you've said in the past that you don't like this word. Yes. Is that because you prefer the word sponsor or you just don't like the idea of it? I think it just it implies like mentor and mentee applies a senior junior relationship and a one way directional benefit. Mm. Um, and even in situations where I have been a more classic mentor to somebody more junior, I benefit from that relationship just as much. And I really wish there was a word that, I'm, I'm going to come up with it someday. I wish I could unveil it here right now. I don't have it still. Um, but this idea of it being a more equal relationship, mm -hmm. um, that both sides are getting something from it. At Chief, we really stress that because we are truly at 
the same levels of um, experience and leadership and seniority. But even in the more classic sense of somebody being more senior and more junior, um, I've heard plenty of examples and I've experienced plenty of examples of people who are the more senior person trying to give advice to the other, they get just as much benefit mm -hmm. um, in, in certain instances. So it's more like a peer interaction than anything else. Exactly. You'll notice that we've been pretty general in terms of talking about who's a member, who's not. <laughs> um, we're not naming names. You're not even naming companies. You said Fortune 10 companies. It's, it's kind of like a secret society where we, everyone knows it exists, or the people who matter know that it exists, <laughs> but they're not really out there advertising. They're not putting it on Instagram or anything like that. Um, do people want to keep it secret? Is that by their request, or is that something you decided early on? It's something that we decided. Uh, and if you as a member want to broadcast, know, it. broadcast it, feel free. Um, but we truly want to be a place where you can have your real confidential conversations. And we're not trying to you know, take our member base and exploit them for our own marketing purposes. We have no social media presence, uh, which is kind of Shock. unheard of. And uh, my co-founder has run that organization at many different uh, startups. So it was a really weird position for us to take, given just how much. And she's also very personally active. <laughs> um, so I guess that's our chief presence, is Lindsay's personal account. Um, but we didn't want, we wanted this to be a place of authenticity, confidentiality. Uh, and so we have chosen to be really tight on who is a member. But I, I was joking earlier about the fact that um, through no ask on our part, a ton of our members have actually put that they are members of Chief on their LinkedIn. So LinkedIn now thinks that we are a company of 500 employees, um, <laughs> which is not the case. And all women at that. <laughs> and all women. Um, so I keep getting awards for like the fastest growing startup in New York City from an employee standpoint. And I'm like, that's not a real number. Um, so if they want to do that and want to be able to make that statement, we're super supportive. Mm -hmm. It's not something we ask for, and it's not something that we would ever do on their behalf. Got it, got it. Um, we mentioned that there are a lot of women um, who identify chief on their LinkedIn profiles. Are there any men in chief? And has anyone come to you and said that they want to join? Have you targeted anyone? What's your thinking on allowing men to be members? Or the value add of male members? Yeah, I think we, we want to be extremely inclusive of the way that we approach this. Um, and so we say that we are built for women, but uh, anybody can join. So uh, we haven't had, we've had one guy apply and then drop off, just went quiet what in the happened? process. I don't know, I don't know. We, we followed up. I think he was just exploring what this might be, um, not really intending to join. but. We are, we are open to men. Um, mm -hmm. And I think in everything we do in design, if you come to our clubhouse, it feels very gender neutral. Uh, and it's designed specifically that way because there's way too many times where I have been part of women's initiatives, women's networks, and I'll be talking to one of my guy friends talking about going to this and he's like, oh, have fun. I, I wouldn't one of those. Yeah, I don't want to go to that. I want them to be jealous. I want them to want to come. I want to build something that like feels like everybody would want to have that. Uh, and so that has been the way that we've approached it. 
the whole way. And if anybody wants to be our first guy member, more than welcome to to join the wait list and go through the process. Do you personally uh, vet every candidate? I mean, do you send and write out the <laughs> acceptance or rejection letters? Uh, we are very active in the process. Do yes. other members help in that process? We haven't yet, but I think it's something that we are um, really starting to explore. I think part of our hesitation with it is if it's vetted through the community uh, or only coming from things like referral, then you'll just become a little bit of a microcosm of, of what you what you already are. Mm -hmm. And because we're so focused on diversity and making sure that that is a big part of what we do, we've been hesitant to go there. But I do think that the uh, there's, I've been so surprised at how much members want to get involved. And uh, we originally thought um, that we really need to be super respectful of their time. We couldn't make these asks. And we've been just blown away by how much people want to step forward and actually take those roles. Mm -hmm. So our thinking on that is adapting. But we started from a place of we want to make sure that we drive diversity. And we didn't want to make an ask of a person who's paying to be a part of right. this community. They want to. So we're really starting to think through all of that. Okay, but for now it's very curated by you and Lindsay. Yes. Okay. Um, one way you can perhaps get men to join or to seek out membership is to make them jealous with <laughs> an incredible list of guest speakers and thought leaders that you bring to your programming. Um, you've had Tina Fey, you've had Amal Clooney. Who are some of the people who've come on? Are they all women, for instance? No. Um, so last week Mickey Drexler was a speaker. Formerly of J. Crew. Yeah. Um, we um, had one of our first, one of our formats is uh, this supper club uh, where it's a smaller format, uh, so you get a much more intimate conversation. So Mark Laurie, who's the CEO of Walmart.com, was the founder of Jet.com, got acquired by Walmart. He did our very first supper club. Uh, and it could be a kind of a controversial choice of the very first supper club that we did. We invited a guy to, to lead that, mm -hmm. but that was, that's part of our ethos of wanting it to feel like a more inclusive um, community and really uh, have a vibrant conversation uh, across all topics. So. And he didn't limit it to just talking about women in the boardroom or female no. executives and seniority. If and you know Mark at all, challenges. he definitely will talk about fundraising because he's a machine at it. Uh -huh. uh, and so many of the people at the table were entrepreneurs that were mm. going through that process. and. Just amazing advice. Uh, he was one of my calls I made as we were going through our fundraising process and has been super helpful. And this is a mission that he cares deeply about. He's got two daughters. He's starting to do a lot more in this space. But it was all, anybody could have been at that table and gotten the same benefit from that conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You also, of course, do these core groups that we mentioned. What makes for a good group? I mean, without getting into the details of who was there and what exactly was discussed, how much of it is focused on the challenges of managing people, and how much of it is on things like fundraising or um, structural problems that people in a certain industry face or that you're dealing with when you're looking at the uncertainty of what's going on globally? I think the conversations are really dynamic. All of those things that you just talked about were probably talked about today in the core groups that were happening today. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the beauty of the model is that you can touch on all of those different topics 
when they are important to you. I think there's a lot of other programs that are so curriculum driven where this month we're going to talk about this and then next month it's going to be this and you walk in and you're like, I'm going through this massive restructuring. Mm -hmm. That's what I need to talk about. Maybe in two months that's interesting to me, but it's not right now. And so being able to have the personalization to talk about all of those different topics when it's really important and valuable to you right then. Does everyone have to sign a non-disclosure agreement or anything? It is part of the membership agreement, so it's totally confidential mm -hmm. in the room. That is by far the biggest reason why we would kick somebody out of Chief as a membership if, if that is breached. That. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned fundraising and how you talked to Mark Laurie about that. Chief is for profit. This is not a nonprofit. And at no point did you ever consider making this a nonprofit, right? Never considered it. Okay, yeah. you had strong initial demand, clearly. Um, you have a subscription model where you charge a lot of money, and the companies who are your members, essentially, are willing to pay it. Um, so you have funding, yet you are VC-backed. Why did you decide to, to seek outside funding? I think that the, um, the level of product and experience that we wanted to create required some level of funding. Um, whether in whatever shape or form it was going to take shape. Um, and when we looked at what we wanted to do, the impact that we wanted to have, and the speed with which we wanted to have that impact, we don't want to wait decades to be able to drive real change. Um, and the model that allows you to move fastest is venture capital. Mm. And for us, I think just to go back to the nonprofit question of why why we decided to be for-profit versus non-profit, um, a big part of it is what we are building, most things that focus on leadership development, they're for-profit. Just because we put this built for women doesn't mean that we now have to move into a completely different business model and be non-for-profit. Um, and wanted to make sure that we had the robust funding that allowed us to build a really great experience that allows for impact fastest. I bring that up because a lot of times I've heard from female entrepreneurs that when they pitch to outside investors, someone will say, that's a great idea. I think you should do that as a nonprofit. And that, that's the kind of feedback women get a lot of times that men don't necessarily. Oh, yeah. We, I will say, um, I don't know if this, what this says about me, but the, the people who said that most to me were the lawyers that I was talking to to set this up. Um, and I you had, should do this as a nonprofit. Well, they were like, you should not take venture capital dollars for this business. This is not a venture capital business. Uh, as your advisor or as your potential, I was screening them to become our lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was so often, this is not a venture capital business. Uh, and I look at what we've been able to accomplish over the last year, and I would say compared to 95% of venture capital businesses that are trying to achieve a certain level of of growth and scale, we've outpaced them. This is a venture capital this business. This is a venture capital business. So the venture capitalists that you talked to, did they get it right away? Were any of them trying to dilute your mission and you know add in ideas that would have made it less pure, change your mission, um, broadened it to a point where you didn't really recognize it anymore? I think every time you go through a fundraising process, uh, Every conversation you have, somebody has their own spin on it, and it becomes so important as the entrepreneur to stay true to what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's especially tempting because you want their funding. Um, and so you walk out and you're like, well, and Lindsay and I did this it, a little bit in our seed round where 
we would leave, we'd go back to our hotel room as we were, if we were out in San Francisco or back to the office if we were here in New York and we'd look at the deck and think through like maybe we should change the way we're talking about this or that or that question, maybe we should start to show it this way. Um, and we really quickly through that process realized that it was just muddling what we stood for and mm. that we needed to be really true to what we wanted this to be and find the people who really understood that and backed it and were believers in it because this is a really long journey. Um, the people that you have as investors who are in that boardroom have a really deep impact on the way that your business is going to grow. And if it's not the right fit, um, to really make sure that you understand that and be true to yourself because it, it's not like you get the money and they go away. Right. They're now in your boardroom. <laughs> so it's not like you're customizing your pitch to whoever you were pitching to. You kept your pitch consistent because they would need to see the merit of what you were explaining. Exactly. Um, how much of your bank backing is from uh, women-focused investors? You know, there are a lot of VCs or a lot of investors who say that they're targeting women-focused business, women-run businesses. Yeah. I'd say uh, we have we have some people on our cap table who are women-focused investors. Mm -hmm. uh, but for us, in the same way that it was Im important for us to have um, and to continue to have men involved in the chief mission from a, you know, ideally someday membership, but uh, from a programming perspective, uh, it's just as important for us to have men involved uh, from a governance standpoint. So as we raised our Series A, uh, we closed in June or July of this year, we raised 22 million. For us, it was really important to have somebody who believed in our mission and was deeply aligned with it. For us, that was General Catalyst and Inspired Capital. General Catalyst was, the deal was led by Ken Chenault. He is not a um, investor who focuses just on mm -hmm. women's initiatives, but he is somebody who has cared deeply about diversity and inclusion in the workplace throughout his entire career. And he also knows membership pretty well as the ex-CEO and chairman of Amex. Um, and then Alexa Von Tobel, she is not somebody who also only focuses in women-led businesses, but she just raised one of the largest funds as a you know, first-time woman venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. And so she just lives and breathes what we want to be able to create at Chief. So, for us, I think it was less about just targeting those companies that only specifically focus on women, but it had to be really aligned with our mission. Right, and it says a lot that um, investors who aren't just focused on women got the idea right away, got the concept and saw the need for it and saw the market for it. Mm -hmm. um, your business model is fairly asset light. You have a physical presence, um, a clubhouse in Tribeca, mm -hmm. and you're expanding, you're gonna be opening something in LA, but it's not like you have these huge co-working spaces like um, the Wing or the Riveter or Luminary. You're not remaking buildings and putting in lots of sofas, right? Yeah. We are doing one build out right now that makes me feel like we are doing that, but um, <laughs> our model is, is, again, we are modeled after YPO. Um, they have no space. They have a lot of these programming um, elements, the, the core groups, which they call forum, they just happen in the offices of their different members. Because mm. the value of, of YPO and the value of Chief is the people, not the clubhouse. Uh, and I think we've, I have said it so many times, we are a community that happens to have a space, not a space that then tries to build a community in it. Uh, and so 
when we launched, it was really important for us to keep the experience close. We wanted to um, have a space where we can really see how this is all coming together. A network is a little um, you know, amorphous and wanted to have something that grounded it and allowed for our brand to come through. So as we launch a city, it's always been important for us to have a, a, a space that allows for that brand to really speak. And it's also a nice additional service to be able to, to give to people. But it's not co-working because all of our members, 99% of our members, have offices. They don't need to be using that space. Uh, and it's much more around the community than it is a physical space. That they create when they're together. Exactly. Yet, I'm sure that there's some tendency by media, by others who look from the outside and kind of lump you together with the wing, the Riveter and Luminary. Um, do you, does that frustrate you when you get lumped together and people think of it as a zeitgeisty thing? Like, oh, you know, this is a big thing right now for women to have physical space together, work together, and, and hash out problems or hash out challenges. Um, I don't know that it bothers me. I mean, I think it's a great neighborhood to be in. I have such respect for all of those um, companies and what they're doing. I think we're doing things very differently, that they complement each other. But I do think that you know, they have done a great job of, like the wing, for example, I think it would have been a lot harder for us in the early days to talk about like a really interesting brand fo focused for women around something like this without mm -hmm. the example of what the wing was able to do from a co-working perspective. Um, I think they really pushed the mold on, on what a women-focused physical space could be and the type of brand and the following that it could create. They're you know, much more space co-working focused. We are much more leadership development focused, mm -hmm. um, which creates a, a more asset-light model. Um, <laughs> But I think that there's a really nice ability for us both to exist and um, focus on very different things and just create a great environment for women. And I'm just excited that there's so much focus and attention on the needs of this demographic right now. Is there a risk to this maybe misperception that you'll either all succeed or all fail together? Or if one of you starts stumbling, that, that'll bring down the, the group of you? Well, I hope that none of us stumble, so I'll start there. Um, but I don't think so. Uh, I think as we each go deeper and deeper into our respective business models, I think the differences become more and more clear. I think it's hard when um, companies first launch and uh, you don't know enough about what each one stands for and how they operate, uh, that it's natural to try to group things together. Everybody likes to categorize. Mm -hmm. I do. I'd love a good bento box and things organized. Um, but I don't think that that, I think as you get deeper and deeper into um, the life cycle of each of these businesses, we will all go in very different ways that it will be really clear where we each sit. Okay. Maybe it's just because you guys kind of all came up at the same, same time. time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you're going to be opening in LA in 2020. Yeah. Uh, where else are you thinking of expanding to? I'm surprised that it's LA and not, say, San Francisco, where you've got, oh, I mean, it would make sense that there would be a lot of entrepreneurs there, a lot of people who are running companies or thinking of starting up companies where you'd go to next. I mean, LA was, uh, San Francisco was definitely in the consideration set, uh, but we really just went off of where we were seeing the most demand. Mm -hmm. Both people joining our wait list and wanting us to go there, but also mm -hmm. the people within our membership. And um, 
the ability to leverage Chief across different markets. Uh, and a good number of our current members are bi-coastal between New York and LA. So across both of those things, it made the most sense to go to LA first. Mm -hmm. Definitely, San Francisco's on a short list. It's, it's definitely something that is, we're, we're focused on and, and, and eyeing, but wanted to go and tackle San, uh, LA first. How about overseas? London, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore? We are definitely thinking about all of those. I can say that 2020 is not our focus of going international. I think we've got a lot to, um, for us, we want to make sure that everything that we go and deliver uh, is at the level of experience and impact that a very senior executive woman demands. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that we're not spreading ourselves out too thin, that it's at risk of any of the experiences. So we have big ambitions. We're moving fast, but I don't think we will ever want to outpace the experience level. And you want to keep that wait list long, too. <laughs> All right, let's get to um, speed round, which is kind of a bunch of questions, and you know, you can tell me as much as you want or as little as you want, and then we'll get to questions from our audience. But um, personally speaking, what's the best advice you've received as you advanced and moved up as a leader? Um, I think for me, everything really revolves around team. You like live and die by the team that you create, and as you get more and more senior, it is. Uh, your success is so reliant on the people that you surround yourself and and, uh, and bring on. So I think the best advice that I have ever gotten is around that process where you often realize that you need to hire somebody two weeks after you actually needed to hire them. And so you go through this, you want to move really fast. Uh, but the best advice I got was as you're going through that process, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Mm. Um, that it's so much worse to bring on somebody quick that's just not the right fit and to take that time and find the hell yes. So you have to have utter conviction that this is the right fit. Yeah. Um, what's the most controversial topic that chiefs are talking about these days? I don't know if it's controversial. Um, it I generates do, the most debate. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I do think it's a, it's a really interesting time right now I think there's a, a shift between this concept of individual power to collective power. And I think especially as we're going into 2020, like the um, effect that collective power can actually have and how do we as a community really realize that, I think is something that we are, you know, is, is a topic of conversation. What's the best advice one of the thought leaders has given at, at a core session? Um, I, sh I can give... I, there's one that pops into my mind right now. Uh, I go through a core group, so I'll, I'll tell you the best advice. That, as a participant. As a participant. So I'll give the best advice that I personally have received. Um, you know, I, my experience is going through the um, different leadership positions. I was more of a COO profile, and now I'm trying to transition into a CEO profile. And like, how do you navigate that change? Mm -hmm. um, and my instinct has been, I do not have a COO on staff. Um, and so my instinct has always been, well, I can kind of do that role. I know that role. So that's the role that I don't need to fill first. I can kind of continue. And the best advice that I got was, you're never going to become a CEO until you stop being a COO. So that's the, high, that's the hire you need to do first. Ah, that's good. That gives you a lot to think about. Yeah. What's the one common refrain heard at a core group of CEOs then? <laughs> um, I, I do think, like I, I mentioned before, the 
most things all revolve around people. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you motivate your teams? How do you set up a structure where people buy into your vision? Um, how do you continue to just beat your vision over their heads again and again? Because repetition is like the best tool that you have as a CEO to make sure that everybody's really aligned. And I think it is how you actually like drive that strategy out to everyone. Okay, CEOs and parents have a lot in common then. <laughs> um, what's the number one mistake you made when launching Chief? I mean, everyone makes mistakes when they start companies. What's one that you felt you made, but, and, and how did you deal with it? So I'm not sure that, that, I think there are things that have surprised us that we had to really quickly pivot on, on how we wanted to, to handle. Um, for, uh, for us, I think, Lindsay believed this, I wasn't so sure, but we, our members are kind of like the movie trope version of like the busy woman. Um, and I really did not appreciate how much people wanted to get involved. Hmm. Um, it goes back to what we were talking about before and wanting to be you know, in service of them and realizing as a community, it actually needs to really feel communal um, and allowing for them to be real active participants in all parts of you it. You didn't want to ask too much of them. Exactly. Um, and I think that's one learning that we had really quickly uh, of needing to be, needed to communicate more, needing to have them part of the process more because they have such amazing energy for what we're doing and uh, support of wanting us to succeed and willingness to get involved. You mentioned your co-founder, Lindsay. What's the hardest part about being co-founders? Lindsay and I are exact opposites. Um, so I talked about me being a bento box. She's like a stew. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, the food analogies. <laughs> we do a lot of food analogies. She is a she's an analogy driver. The other thing that she often says is that I am the suit and she's the creative, which is not a complimentary uh, <laughs> depiction of me, but might be true. Um, and uh, I think the hard part but the beauty of that is that we come from things from with such different perspectives and angles. Uh, we are so aligned on our values, which is what we really wanted to make sure before we decided to ever go and co-found something together. But our thinking styles and the way that we operate are totally different. Um, and needing to have deep respect for the way that we both come at it, because at the end of the day, when you bring both of those two things together, it creates such a better product mm -hmm. um, and having deep appreciation for the other in that process. So, All right, Carolyn Childers, let's open the floor up to questions from the audience uh, in front. If we could pass a microphone here. One sec. Hello, uh, uh, Marcos from A Better Mousetrap. Uh, first of all, I love zeitgeisty. It's a great, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna steal that term. Um, how do you measure uh, either anecdotally or in a more rigorous way, how effective you are? Is it feedback from your members? Uh, are there certain metrics where you go, ah, we really nailed it with this one? And how do you do that with a both a diverse set of, um, of individuals as well as different verticals? Yeah, absolutely. And different goals. So everybody coming in, um, success for them as they come in is, is always different. I think for us, there's two things that we um, anchor in of what, of what we think it 
is required for women to find great next opportunities and continue to progress, and that is connection and the number of people that you know and meet and have a deep relationship with, and self-learning. And so we try to measure across both of those of how deep are the relationships that are actually forming within Chief and how many of them are forming. On the other side, as we, on the like self-learning and really starting to develop as a leader, as part of the onboarding, we ask a whole series of questions. We ask them at different parts of that experience so that we can actually measure somebody's progress against those different things. Um, it's something that I think we want to continue to invest in and, and fine tune because we are so focused on this mission and uh, it's a really hard, how do we show our impact against that mission, which is a, unfortunately not a one year mission to go and accomplish. Um, and so we need to figure out what our, what our smaller versions of that are to really show impact that we're able to drive. Right here in front. I'm Paulina from Verisk Analytics. Um, Carolyn, I'm just wondering whether you have thought about um, replicating and tweaking your current business model to start one for um, executive men, but we know that there are quite a few um, similar kind of network for men. And my question to you is uh, since uh, I'm sure you talk to many um, members of your 1500 ones, what are the common career issues they struggle with, like the top three ones? The top three. <laughs> um, so no, we have not thought about going and building this same type of, of organization exclusively for men. Um, we're also not exclusively for women. Um, and so I think that the opportunity for us to um, you know, focus in on what we're doing right now is really important to us. We have thought about, over time, what is the, what is the type of experience that we can create for people who are uh, earlier than a VP. Not that we would ever allow for VP, for people before BF VP to join Chief as it exists right now, but is there a different sub-brand that we can use some of what we've learned at Chief to be able to extend into? Like rising Chief. Exactly. Um, so I think we've, we've looked at that uh, more than going and building something specifically for, for men. Uh, in terms of the top three issues, Honestly, I think all three of them would fall under the like team and people bucket of how do you really drive your strategy and understanding to your across the organization and create a process and um, culture that people are really buying into what you're doing. It is I I could cut that down into three different topics, but they all bubble up into into that communication. Yeah. Anyone else from the audience right here in front? We've got the mic there. Hi. How many investors turned you down before you got funding? <laughs> in the seed or in the A? Because the seed, a lot. <laughs> in in the, each. In the A. Um, so in seed, I would say you know we had a 95% failure rate. Um, but you only need to find the one or two that really want to back you. Um, and it takes a lot of conversations to get there. And, it, and you need to have conviction to stick with what you want the business to be instead of continuing to morph it. Um, 
at the A, not as many. Um, I think we had such amazing traction for us to be at the stage that we were without spending any marketing to have just amazing feedback on the experience. Uh, it was a very different conversation, including with people who we had had the exact opposite conversation with in the seed, and those <laughs> were my favorite conversations. <laughs> How did that go? It was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> did they acknowledge that they were completely wrong? Yes. There, I mean, there were a number of, of points that people made during the um, seed that actually were extremely helpful and things that we took into account as we were going and building. One of my one of the best things was one of the investors, he said no to us, uh, and his reasoning was, you have basically four services that you're launching with as part of the chief membership, and I am part of, I'm on board of many companies who have one product that they're trying to stand up and go and launch, and they fail at that, mm. and you have four. So you're that spreading yourself makes me a little bit nervous, right, right. and I think that was a really great bit of feedback to get and somebody that I, I, we still like, love to keep in touch with because he was so helpful in the feedback. And as Lindsay and I have thought about, okay, where do we go from here? How do we think about things? You know, the, um, that constantly comes back to us of we need to make sure that we're investing in the most impactful instead of spreading ourselves out even further across all of these other things that we could be doing. It's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. Uh, any questions from this side of the room? Um, hi, Natasha from Box. Have you thought about, or do you think there's opportunity to also create um, an organization or offset of this or offshoot to train or guide men in the C-suite to also be allies or sponsors for these women as they continue to grow? Yeah, I mean, I think our perspective on it is actually more, again, we started in this place where we were creating relationships directly with the members, they go and then get it sponsored. We now are starting to have relationships directly with the companies themselves. And I think one of the interesting ways that we can go and do some of those things is how do you leverage those relationships to actually be able to drive change within the organizations and not just in the microcosm of chief. And I think that's where you can start to get broader reach um, and really start to bring in some allies within each of those organizations. Any other questions right here in front? Hi. Oh, we have the mic coming in too, so everyone can hear you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Leon Jal uh, from Bansuri. And I wanted to ask you, in terms of the development process of Chief and the team build out, you know, who was you, who were the two the first one to three different individuals that you brought on to the team um, to really build it out beyond the two co-founders? Um, yeah, I think, so our uh, first hire was somebody who, uh, that we were focused on, was somebody who was really focused on membership and driving that process. Um, I think both Lindsay and I, um, I wanted to spend some time there. Lindsay really wanted to be deep in the experience, um, and I wanted to be a little bit of both, so we knew that that was where we needed to hire somebody that was specifically dedicated to that. Um, and wanted to make sure that we got that set up first. I think way too often startups focus on building a product without knowing if there's actually demand for that product and they go so deep into the development process that 
Now they've spent all of their capital and absolutely nobody is coming around to use it. And mm. so we wanted to make sure, even as we were going through that development process, that we had somebody that was focused on what do people actually want and can we get members on board. So that's where we really started to invest from a team perspective first. Right there. Hi, I'm Asher from ProtoShare. I think you have a wonderful example of a for-profit that it's impact-driven, and I'm very happy that you guys are doing this. Um, I had a question. Do you have any um, situations where you have chiefs who are competing in the same industry, learning how to collaborate? Maybe not in an oligopoly sense, but have you come across that, and how do you approach that? Absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that's important for us in just the way that we operate, the core groups themselves, as we create those, we make sure that people who are in a competitive world are not in the same sphere. Uh, that would be very awkward and hard. Um, I think outside of that, though, we do have people who are very competitive uh, businesses that are both sitting in the chief membership. Uh, and I think it's uh, the behavioral regulations that we kind of put on within the membership to uh, make sure that that doesn't come to a, a weird fruition. Um, but even people that want to partner with us and come in and do some type of event with us, we have members, entrepreneurs, launching very similar businesses that would love to do a partnership with us. And we're like, how do we navigate this? Um, so it's something I think we're still trying to weed through. but. I think at the heart of it, everybody, the, the amazing thing that Chief has been able to create is an environment where everybody truly is rooting for other people and um, really invested in the success of the other women that are a part of this organization. Um, and as long as that's at the heart of what you do, then behavior often follows. Are the core groups constant? Do they stay the same or do you switch them up? They stay the same. So you're meeting more people within the chief community through other programming, but your core group is your core group. Okay. And it's really important that that stay that way because it builds. The, the level of, of understanding that you have about each other, mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to start that again every time and have to get people up to speed on your context. Right. And trust as yes. well. Final question for Carolyn. Right there, sir? How often do the core groups meet? And do your members have pretty much of a a weekly schedule where they can keep busy once a week, twice a week, or how, how is the time segmented? Yeah, so uh, core happens basically every four to six weeks. Um, so on, hopefully on more of a monthly basis, you are having a chief experience just through core in and of itself. Um, but we have so much other programming that happens throughout every week. So uh, I think in October, we had over, I think, close to over 20 events that you oh, wow. could participate in, um, which shocks me again, going back to the, you know, what did we learn really quickly? I thought people would be so busy that they wouldn't want to come to all of these events. I was wrong. They really want more. Um, and so we've, we've been really creating more and more experiences for people to be able to partake in on a daily, weekly basis. So a lot of engagement. All right, Carolyn Childers, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Tech at Bloomberg on Twitter, like Cornell Tech at Bloomberg on Facebook, or visit the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast homepage to sign up for the invites to future events in this series. You can also watch any of the interviews from this event series on Inside Bloomberg on YouTube.